You are listening to New Covenant Fellowship. I really hate to start off a sermon like this, but I've just got something that I need to get off my chest. I'm extremely angry with you guys. Okay? Here's the deal. It's, bear with me as I try to put this into words to express If I could get away with it, I would probably kill every single one of you. But I'm not going to do that. And the reason I'm not going to do that is because fear of consequences. Because I've seen enough TV shows to know about DNA evidence, and there's no way I could get away with it. So even though I would like to slay every one of you in cold blood, I'm not going to do that. How does that make you feel? To hear that. How does that make you feel? Is your response to that? Cool. I don't care if you're mad at me, man. As long as you don't kill me because I got plans this week. Or is your sentiment, dang, dude, you're angry with me? What Did I do something to, to hurt your feelings or to offend you? Man, I'm sorry. We need to make this right because I care about you. I know you care about me. I want to reconcile with you and make our relationship right, David. We need to talk after service. Man, I do not want you to be angry. Which one of those is your response? Now, I would imagine that if you care about investing anything into a relationship with me, then your response is probably the latter. You were probably not okay with me being angry with you. And for the record, I'm not. Just an illustration. Carl is a lawyer, and he's over there going, dude, I don't care if that's an illustration. You better hope nobody dies on the way home today because you just became suspect number one in a murder investigation. And the reason, and the reason I open up with this illustration is to kind of tap into your heart, to tap into your emotions, to show you that, yes, while what we do outwardly with words and deeds is important, so is what happens inwardly, in the heart. And we're gonna see from the words of Jesus, the thrust of his message today is just that, that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter five. We're gonna continue walking through this passage known as the Sermon on the Mount, where we're examining the words of Jesus, who comes on the scene as the new Moses to give God's new covenant people a new set of commandments for the new land and life in the new land, a.k.a. the kingdom. We're currently in a series entitled The Kingdom, What It Means, where we're exploring what does it mean to be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. If we are the community over which Christ reigns as king, what is normative for us? If we are dwelling in that territory over which Christ reigns as king, and we are, we want to know what is the law of the land. We want to know what is the decree of the king because we want to walk in a manner that is pleasing to our king. So we're seeking to answer that question, what is the decree of the king? Last week we looked at the fact that Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So 
Let's look at some of these words of Jesus, which will never pass away. Some of these words which are everlasting that pertain to life in the kingdom that is everlasting. We're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, which is where we left off last week. I'm reading out of the NIV. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. So Jesus opens up and says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. Where have they heard that? Where had they heard it said, do not murder and anyone who Murders will be subject to judgment. Well, Jesus is pointing to the law of Moses. He's pointing to that section of the law of Moses, which is that famous section known as the Ten Commandments, specifically what you and I know as Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, do not murder. And there were 600 plus commandments in this law of Moses with varying consequences depending on the severity of the action. It had different consequences depending on the action. Now, murder is one of the biggies. Do not murder, or you will be subject to judgment. What kind of judgment? What kind of punishment? What kind of consequences for murder? You take someone's life, your life will be taken from you. You will be put to death if you murder. So Jesus reminds them, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That was the word of Moses. And within that generation, the words of Moses would pass away. But the new Moses is here, and his words will never pass away. And he says, but I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Now what Jesus is doing here is kind of moving the boundary lines with regard to what defines righteous living. The boundary line used to be right here. As long as you don't cross that line of murder, you're in bounds. You're good. Don't cross the boundary line of murder. You're golden. And he says, but let me tell you, moving the boundary line. He takes like several giant steps forward and says, it's here now. Used to be over there, murder, but now it's here. It's anger. You're angry with your brother in your heart. You cross the line. You're no longer in bounds. Under the law of Moses, according to the word of Moses, you cross the line of murder, the whistle blows, the flag is thrown, 15-yard penalty. But I say to you, the boundary lines have been moved. Angry with your brother, the whistle blows. But the good news is, no 15-yard penalty, it's just repeat first down. Now, why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus move this boundary line from the outward act of murder to the inward thought of the heart of anger. Well, I believe that what Jesus is doing here is getting right to the source, getting right to the root, getting right to the heart of the matter, which is the matter of the heart. See, as a general rule of thumb, thought leads to action. Actions oftentimes, most often, begin in our heart. Now granted, we can go through our day on autopilot and do certain things. Sometimes we just do knee-jerk reactions and act without thinking, but oftentimes, especially with regard to something like murder, 
Severe actions definitely tend to begin in the heart with our thoughts. I mean, think about a psychopath or a, or a serial killer. I mean, those dudes are pretty brilliant. They think through that thing. They plan it out. That begins in the thoughts. It begins in the heart. And if you're not a psychopath, if you're normal, I'm probably going to figure that if you're driving and somebody cuts you off in traffic, you're not going to open the glove box, pull out the gat, and pop a cap in. It has a knee-jerk reaction to that. If you, as a normal person, are going to take drastic measures of taking someone's life, I'm willing to bet that that's something that you're going to really think through, that you're going to have to be really, really, really angry with someone before you do that. And that begins in the heart. It begins in a heart that fosters attitudes and thoughts of anger and hatred and bitterness. And if those things take root, they will grow and over time become a wicked tree that yields the fruit of things such as murder. And so Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter, which is the matter of the heart. And he moves that boundary line and he says, the boundary line is no longer the wicked fruit of murder, but the wicked root of anger in your heart. And he continues in the text, he says, again, and anytime Jesus says something like, again, he's kind of reiterating something. He's, he's bringing force to his argument and kind of taking it a step further. Okay, but he's going along the same lines here. He says, again, anyone who says to his brother, Racha, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You see, that same pattern repeated. Something severe, and these are the consequences. Something less severe. I'm moving the boundary lines here, and there's consequences. Now, again, it's a reiteration of the same. In other words, Jesus is speaking to an audience who is under the Old Covenant administration, and during that time, if they were to utter racha, which was an Aramaic term of contempt, then they were going to face the religious leaders, that religious council known as the Sanhedrin. And he says, but I say to you, that boundary line is no longer racha. Now you're out of bounds for saying you fool. The boundary lines are moving. And you may have been like, ah, last week, whenever we looked at the fact that the law of Moses would pass away and in the kingdom of God, you and I as citizens are not bound by those 600 plus laws, commandments, and ordinances. You might have thought, you know what? Jesus is lower in the standard. Jesus is lower in the bar with regard to morality. Not so much. We see that Jesus is raising the bar on righteous living. Jesus is moving those boundary lines in redefinition of right living. And now he gets practical. Now he gets practical. Verse 23, Jesus says, Therefore, anytime in the scriptures you see a therefore, you always want to ask, what's it there for? And the answer is, it's there for pointing you back to what he just said, because he's about to build on it. And so he says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then 
come and offer your gift. Now that I've moved the boundary line, now that I've redefined righteous living, now that I've gotten to the heart of the matter, which is the matter of the heart, here's some practical application as to how you can live this out. And he, and he, he hits on an application, an illustration that would have hit home for his audience <coughs> in that day, of people who would make sacrifices on the altar as an act of worship. But this is not without application for you and I today because Jesus is driving home a profound precept, a timeless principle that you and I can apply in our lives today. And I believe that what Jesus is getting at is this. Reconciling relationships, maintaining right relationships is an act of worship and one that takes greater precedence than others. Right? We tend to think in terms of priority, right? God is the most important, right? God's way more important to me than you guys are. So anything that I do for God or unto the Lord in my pious religious activities are going to be way more important than anything I can do with you or for you because you're just people and he's God. So if I'm, you know, praying, it's real spiritual, worshipful, religious, pious activity, if I'm singing songs to God, if I'm going to church, if I'm giving money to somebody, these acts of worship before God are going to be way higher on the priority list than anything I can do for you guys, anything I can do with you guys, because I can, I can kind of separate those things, right? These things over here, they're acts of worship. They're about God. Anything I do with you guys, I mean, this is kind of secular stuff. It's not as important. And Jesus shatters that idea. And he points out, no, 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 no. They're like connected. In fact, he goes so far as to say maintaining right relationships is an act of worship. And it takes more precedence than whatever other so-called act of worship you think is so important for you to do right now. Get your relationships in order first, then come and worship. And this is kind of a two-way street here, what Jesus does. If we're following the pattern of what Jesus is doing, he flips the script on us and does something that we don't expect him to do, or at least something I don't expect him to do, because he starts off and he says, do not murder. And then by implication, do not be angry with your brother. Now, I would expect in Jesus' illustration him to say something like, therefore, if you're at the altar offering a gift and you realize that you're angry with your brother... Go apologize and make it right and reconcile and then come back and offer your gift. But he doesn't do that. He says, if you're at the altar offering your gift and there you remember that your brother has something against you, first go and be reconciled to your brother. Make it right with him. Then come and offer your gift. So it's not... Simply examine your heart and make sure there's no anger in your heart, but take responsibility for any anger that might be in your brother or sister's heart, especially 
if maybe you were the one that caused it. Because as, as a general rule of thumb, generally speaking, unless there's another underlying issue going on, most of the time when somebody's angry at us, there's a reason. Maybe we did something, maybe we said something that hurt them or offended them. Maybe we spread a slanderous accusation about them. Maybe we gossiped about them. Maybe we were playing a game of Catan and we took their longest road. <laughs> Maybe we were playing spades and they were trying to go nil and we forced them to take a trick with the eight of clubs. <laughs> Maybe we haven't done the dishes or helped around the house enough. Maybe we spent too much money and we blew the finances and overdrew the account. Maybe we didn't text somebody back soon enough and they wanted us to text them back like right now, but we didn't do it, so they're angry with us. Maybe we didn't tag them in a Facebook post and by golly, they were there. Or maybe we did tag them and they weren't there. That's right. We blocked their goals. But I'm willing to bet the chances are, if they're angry, there's probably a reason. There's probably a reason. And if you become aware that you are the reason that somebody is angry, go and make it right. Because in the kingdom of God, relationships are paramount. Reconciling relationships and maintaining right relationships is an act of worship that takes precedence over other so-called acts of worship. So even if you're in the middle of something really, really, really important, like serving God, going to church, first, go and make it right with your brother. Then, <coughs> and worship. So if you're a Jew living in the first century while the temple system is still intact and you're offering your gift at the altar, there you remember that your brother has something against you. First, go and reconcile with him. Then come back and offer your gift. If you're a 21st century American driving to work in the morning and you are just singing your heart out with shame and shame, yes. worshiping your king, and there you remember that your wife has something against you because you snoozed your alarm four times and it woke her up and she can't get back to sleep and she had a hard time with the kids already. Put your worship on pause, literally. Call your wife. Apologize. Baby, I'm so sorry. And then push play. That was for me. <laughs> if you're in the middle of prayer, and there, in the midst of talking to God, you remember a hiccup in one of your relationships. Say, Father, I hate to do this to you. I really hope you'll understand. But I just remembered that I got this thing with this friend of mine. I think I offended them. And I really hope you'll understand. I, I'm gonna have to, we're going to have to resume this conversation later. You know what I'll say? He'll say, yeah, you're obeying the decree of my son. The son who said, I can do nothing of my own accord. I only do what I see the father doing. That decree, you're walking in obedience to me because I had him say that. Of course I understand. Son, daughter, go and be reconciled with your sister, with your brother. 
talk later. In fact, let's talk along the way. I'll talk you through it. <laughs> if you're here this morning at church and someone comes to mind, here, you remember that you perhaps were the cause of anger in your brother or sister's heart. Do you feel the need to slip out and make a phone call right now? Go and do that. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, grab your phone, put a reminder in it for after church, but do not let the sun go down today on an anger issue between you and a brother or sister in Christ. Make it right. It is an act of worship that takes precedence other, over other so-called acts of worship that may seem extremely important. First go and make things right, then come and worship. Now, this is important to follow, not only because it is the decree of the king, not only because there's spiritual and emotional benefits, there's practical benefits to this. There's practical benefits to this. Check out what Jesus says next. Verse 25, he says, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him along the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Tell the truth. You will not get out until you've paid the last penny. If you don't reconcile, if you take that prideful route that says, you know what, I don't care. That jerk deserves it. You may have to pay. There may be consequences. There may be penalties. You may pay fines. You may be taken to court. They may take legal action against you. And this is relevant for us today. People still take people to court. And if it goes there, if an issue goes unresolved and they take legal action, you may be sued. <coughs> you may spend time. So settle matters quickly. ASAP. Now. Soon. Quickly, you may avoid practical consequences. So, this is in your best interest. If you're not convinced that reconciling relationships and making relationships right, if you're not convinced that that is important because it's the decree of the king, because you don't care about the authority of Jesus, okay. If you're not convinced that humility is a virtue, if you're not convinced that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, if you're not convinced because of those things, if those things don't resonate with you, here's a no-brainer for you. It's in your best interest. You can avoid practical consequences. This is in our best interest. Now, this passage that we've looked at this morning contains commands in the negative. Do not murder. And by implication, do not be angry with your brother. Well, let's put a positive spin on this. If the negative command is do not take life, then the positive spin would be give life. God's kingdom should be full of citizens who are not life takers, but life givers. We are to be life givers as citizens in the kingdom of God. Empowering others with words and actions of love. <clears throat> consider actions. Consider the things that we do. Consider the things that people do that take life, that seem to sap life out of you. Hey, can you do me a favor? Hey, while you're at it, can you do me another favor? Hey, while you're at it, would you, would you, could you, can you? Hey, can you, this right here, can you? 
And that kind of drains you after a while, right? But on the other hand, think of actions that invigorate, that give life, that put wind in your sails. How can I serve you? What can I do to help you? Allow me actions of servitude are invigorating. They give life. They're life-giving. And words, words are huge. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. Have you ever had a good butt chewing from your boss or your spouse or your dad? And afterward, you feel about this big, less than nothing because they slayed you with their words. The tongue has the power of life and death. We can kill people with our words, or we can grant life with our words. As citizens in the kingdom of heaven, we are to be people that give life with our words, not take life with our words. Let's be the kind of people that after somebody spends time with us, they walk away and feel like they're on top of the world because we just breathed life into them. We just gave them life with our words. Our words were like wind in their sails, and they feel now like they can do anything. And where does such fruit come from? Where does such fruit of empowering words and actions of love, where does that come from? From the heart. If the wicked fruit of murder comes from the wicked root of anger, <coughs> The righteous, life-giving fruit of empowering words and actions of love come from a root of a heart that has an attitude of pleasure, peace, happiness, approval, grace, charity toward another. So let us cultivate in our hearts such attitudes, and as we do, such Root will bear fruit in our actions. Because out of the overflow of the heart, Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Angry in your heart, that's what's likely to come out. But if you take your thoughts captive, make them obedient to Christ, and cultivate thoughts in your heart of love, Charity, grace, that is what is likely to come out. So the moment we find ourselves thinking, that buster, I cannot believe him. I am so mad. Let's check ourselves. Nip it in the bud. The moment we find ourselves thinking, oh, I, I know she didn't. I can't believe her. I am so angry. Let's check ourselves. Nip it in the bud. And that is easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes my thoughts are like hard to control. <laughs> and thoughts like these are connected to emotions, and I can't always control how I feel about something, no matter how hard I want to. Nonetheless, it is the decree of the king, and we are therefore to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. And as hard as it is, if that's hard for you, I will share with you one of those 
uh, sources that I have turned to for help, and that is prayer. Back in the day when I worked at AT&T, I had a coworker, and I am not easily agitated. I pretty much like everybody, and everybody's cool with me, but I had a coworker who, um, she just did things. <laughs> she sang at work with this not awesome voice. She <laughs> would say things that were not that awesome, and I just felt myself getting agitated with her, and I didn't want to be. I didn't want to feel like this. In my heart of hearts, I knew I was wrong. I was like, God, I'm so sorry. I don't want to not like her, but I don't like her. I want to love her, so please help me love her. And he did. Over time, in my heart, I grew to love that woman and all of the things that used to annoy me about her. He is faithful, and he will do it. While sometimes it is difficult to get those emotions in check, those feelings in check, those thoughts captive, making them obedient unto Christ, while it's difficult, we have good news. Our king, he didn't stay dead. He's alive and well, and he's ready and willing to help us. He's like all-powerful, Nothing is impossible for him, and he can change your heart. He can change your heart from the inside out. And early on in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Seeing God. Seeing God in worship. It's connected to purity of heart. And purity of heart is connected to maintaining right relationships with our neighbors. Imagine going to God in prayer. Imagine singing before the Lord and in the midst of that thinking or even uttering the following words. Oh Lord, how I love thee, but I sure cannot stand your children over here. A break in fellowship with our brother or sister will have a negative impact on our relationship with our father. You dads in here. I mean, really? If I came to you and said, man, you and me, we're good. I just got anger issues with your kid. Are we good? Are we really good if like, I'm making your kid angry or if I'm angry with your kid? Are we, are we totally good? No, I don't think so. I think you're probably going to say, dude, go make it right with my kid, and then we might be good. But we're not, as long as you're not good with my children. <coughs> relationships and maintaining right relationships is paramount in the kingdom. Blessed are the pure in heart. Therefore, let us examine our heart. And if there is any impurity in our heart with regard to our thoughts regarding our brothers and sisters... If there's any thoughts of anger or hatred or frustration or bitterness, let's purify our hearts. And if we're having trouble with that, if we're struggling with that, if we're having a hard time taking those thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ, let us go to Christ and say, please, change my heart. Take away this bitterness and this anger and this hatred and replace it with love and grace and charity toward my brother and sister. As citizens in the kingdom of God, 
We are not to be life takers, but life givers. And this begins in the heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Amen? Amen.